Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Conspiracy, the show, the world's most trusted conspiracy theory podcast, with your hosts, Adam Todd Brown and Olivia Haidar. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Conspiracy, the show. I'm Adam Todd Brown. Oh, and I'm Olivia Hydar. I saw that Olivia was coughing in that moment, so I decided to make it worse and yeah. wait for a response. Olivia, how's it going? Oh, it's it's going great. I was just coughing, but I've got a mic with a mute button on it now, so the listeners don't have to hear that now. Yeah, I have a mute button, but I'd have to reach for it, and I'm not going to oh, do that. Okay. I'll just make whoever edits this edit out my coughs. <laughs> Hey, very, very rare guest on Conspiracy, the show. Well, rare in that we don't often have guests on this podcast because me and Olivia don't need no fucking help. You know what I'm saying? We can carry this shit. But sometimes we have a topic that seems like it might strike a chord with someone I know. (laughs) That's like a music reference, which is appropriate because Danger Van Gorder's here and he's in a band. Hi, everybody. Yeah, we like my band, don't we? We mm-hmm. love your band, but we're not here to talk about your music. Maybe at one point for a little while. Yes, don't get me wrong. There will be an okay. extended period where Danger talks about his music. But Danger also went to school to be an urban planner. Yep. Which he's mentioned a time or two on various Unpops Network podcasts. It's true. And I think our topic today lends itself to that expertise. Absolutely. I mean, in, in our circles, we call it expertise, but you know, you're not an urban planner. It's fine. It's fine. Oh, yeah. I'll call it whatever I want. Yeah. I call it sabotage. Thank you. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Deep internet reference there. Uh, so, so, yeah, we're talking about, I mean, we're kind of talking about who framed Roger Rabbit in that. Yep. That's why I watch that movie and nothing else. <laughs> yeah. That's actually, yeah. All we're talking about is who framed Roger Rabbit. How crazy you know, would that be? How about the seamless blend between be animation it. and live action? It's a fantastic. Robert fanta- Zemeckis is a pioneer. The dude playing Roger Rabbit showed up in costume every day to perform lines off camera. That's wonderful. It is. What's that costume look like, though? I, I bet there it was were rabbit ears, a large yeah. bow tie. And Probably like some red overalls, red, I yeah, guess. Yeah, red overalls, I was thinking. Yeah. If shirt. there was makeup involved, I guarantee it was nightmare fuel. But there's no way. <laughs> there's no way there was makeup involved. We're talking about what is essentially the real life story behind the events depicted in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, more commonly called the GM streetcar conspiracy. This is how General Motors in concert with a few other corporations, effectively dismantled what was a very robust public transportation system in this nation. A lot of this is based on a 1996 PBS documentary called Taken for a Ride. At least a lot of what what year was that documentary? 1996, but it seems much, much. It does. Production values have gone up a lot since then, man. Look, it was public television. It's going to be a few years behind the curve, but it was definitely, it was a very vaporwave transportation documentary. It's also, and we'll link to it. You can watch it for free on YouTube. And it's very interesting. And what I like about it is it's from those days gone by of documentaries when a documentary would be exactly as long as it needed to be. (laughs) Sure. If this came out today, it would be eight episodes on Netflix. And it would be excruciating to get through all of it. But this, 55. Season two. uh, Tiger King is trash. 
and I hate it so much. And it is in part what I'm talking about when I say that. But yeah, never seen season. it. It's a trash documentary about garbage people who all deserve to be <laughs> eaten by tigers. But the only one who gets eaten by a tiger is like some poor fucking worker there. Anyway, <laughs> is that how it always goes? Yes. We're talking about <laughs> this documentary taken for a ride. It's 55 yeah. minutes long is what I was getting at with all free of that. Free on YouTube. Yep. Free it, on YouTube. This, it's very depressing to watch because it was made in 1996 and nothing with regards to this topic has changed in the intervening 24 years, 25 years or whatever long. Or if it yeah, has, it's like, gotten worse. Everything they complain about is something that still sucks and is indeed worse now. And everybody's yep. like, I remember when we used to ride the electric motor cars up and down Broadway and we'd get there fast and you'd talk to your neighbors and nothing smelled and you'd trust people on those electric conveyances and it, everything was fine, smooth and reliable service. And then they're like, and over the course of six months, they became these noxious, stinky fart factory buses that were just privately owned. And that was the difference. Yeah, it's especially depressing watching this while living in LA yeah, because yeah. they talk about how LA used to have this very robust public transportation system. Right. And that is definitely not the case. Now, if you live in LA and you have to get anywhere of any significant distance and use public transportation, you got a long day ahead of it's you. It's like two hours. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, oh, this, least, yeah. this documentary is like, hey, do you hate traffic? This is the reason why traffic even exists, is GM wanted to sell a few more cars. So in order to do that, they had to get rid of systems that worked for the public and that were low cost and helpful and reliable and clean. Yeah. Yeah. And so it all starts, I mean, the documentary itself starts with this cartoon that GM put out in 1957 that envisioned the world in the year 2000 and we all got cars the kids got cars the dogs got a car the children have cars it's a four yeah, four children. car garage like what happens if they have another kid you have to add on to the garage yes i think that's the idea insane family planning was robustly encouraged in the year 2000 absolutely insane yeah it's wild there's so many things like that throughout this documentary yeah there's a lot of Propaganda. There's a lot of General Motors produced propaganda about how buses are the best thing and how everyone hates riding rails. It's fascinating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They did such a good PR job when it came to buses. But I feel like now we're right back to where everyone's like, man, fuck a bus. I don't want to ride a bus. Well, well, it depends. Depends on where you are. It's better than not having any public transportation. Oh, for sure. But that's the whole problem is... Then you get caught into that trap of thinking where it's like, well, look, we've got buses, you know, why don't we just do stuff with the buses when in fact buses are like the worst kind of public transportation. Except any bus in any European capital city, those buses are rad. They're good, but they're supported by a complex system of public <laughs> uh -huh. transportation that yeah. allows them to flourish. That's the yeah. whole problem. Imagine that. Yeah, they do at one point talk about how these railway systems, they weren't just prevalent all around the United States, but they were very common in Japan and in Western Europe. Yeah. And at one point after World War II, all three of those regions had some decisions to make about their public transportation because people were all fuck happy and buying cars because the war was over. <laughs> and yep. in Western Europe and Japan... They decided to reinvest in those public railway systems. And in the United States, we voted for cars. Because we didn't vote for shit. Well, here's the thing. You're what? just going to have to deal with me saying we when I talk about the government. Because whether you like yeah. it or not, it's our fucking government. And yeah, and like part of how the GM and just general auto manufacturer propaganda worked was that it convinced people to vote for these things. We were alive during the day. There's a good chance that we might have voted for this stuff because we wouldn't have known any better. And when this whole like suburban experiment and the modern form of urban planning was conceived, no one quite thought out the disastrous impact that it would end up having. 
I mean, my biggest takeaway from that documentary was exactly the opposite, that there was huge amounts of people, poll after poll, like 88%, I think, was one of the poll oh, results. Sure. But they were like, we don't want to get rid of our electric rail systems. We don't want yeah. this freeway to be cut through these neighborhoods or that neighborhood or whatever. Seeing rooms full of people in like the mid-50s saying, I don't want these stinky old buses in place of a system that already is working fine that was the hardest thing for me because yeah like there is that conventional thinking of like well you know people were tricked and they they ended up voting against their own interests because we see that all the time in our lives but i mean it happened to an extent sure but like seeing so many people actually actively pushing back and saying no me and all of these neighborhoods just whole neighborhoods of people we're going to washington dc and they bulldoze your home while you were in washington actively lobbying (laughs) against this thing yeah sorry it's like okay so what that Uh, actually happens by the way in this documentary someone goes to washington dc to lobby against a highway and their home gets bulldozed while they're there it's brutal it's brutal yeah so this all starts in the early 1920s. At that point in history, the primary means of public transportation in the United States was railways, be they electric or pulled by fucking horses at one point. Yeah, because you had an inner city area that where all the jobs were. There wasn't that big suburban sprawl thing happening. So if you lived in Cleveland or Los Angeles or whatever it was, then you lived in the city and you lived close enough yeah. to be able to get that rapid light rail to get to your job on the other side of town, back when it was, you know, gets call it town. It was one centralized place where all the jobs were, and it worked as well as it could because the housing was close enough and all the transportation linked it and was reliable. Right. And monocentric urban planning. Yeah. And at this point, only one in 10 Americans owned a car. Everyone else was mostly using electric rail trains for public transportation, at least around the city. And Alfred P. Sloan Jr., GM chairman from 1923 to 1956, he recognizes this disparity as an opportunity. Because in his mind, that means that's 90% of an audience that we can convert to car drivers. Right. I'm realizing... And I don't want to get too off track here, but a lot of the podcasts and public radio and all that shit that I remember listening to is supported by grants from the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation. Like, I can hear Robert Mm. Siegel sing Alfred P. Sloan, which did not occur to me until you just said his name. Oh. Yeah. Because you get to whitewash your reputation with whatever you want after you've made your billions from corrupting the urban experience of an entire country. Well, yeah, I think that's a common thing. Yeah. Like... Rockefellers, Carnegie's. For sure. All those people wrecked the world. Yeah. Jay Griffith tried to kill his wife because she was convinced that she was poisoning him, and she jumped out a window and survived. Then they named Griffith Park after him. Yeah, they built the observatory on that spot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I want that to be true so much. Yeah, if you look through the right... You look through the right telescope, you can still see it happening. Because it's also haunted. It's L.A. Everything in L.A. is haunted. Of course, of course. Everything in L.A. is fucking haunted. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So to make this conversion of 90% of the public into car users, the first thing they have to do is figure out a way to get rid of all these streetcars. Because streetcars take up street, and we need street to put cars on. Real cars. Not these candy-ass electric cars that aren't putting out any pollution they're not killing Uh, people yeah and that's a real deal breaker in the 50s if it's not polluting we can't have that i'm sorry before before seat belts were invented or crosswalks (laughs) or playgrounds when children just played in the street because it was fine all come later yeah (laughs) you knew when the cars were coming you could play in the street They ran on a schedule. I mean, you know, the ripping up of the streetcars is the entire problem in a nutshell. I mean, it's what we're going to be talking about for this whole episode. But, like, that does nothing to make it easier to drive a car in a city. It just makes it so that there are more people in fucking cars on that street instead of people who are in a streetcar and people who are driving and all that. Yeah, pretty much every change mentioned in this documentary that is supposed to lessen traffic and make commutes easier for people just makes everything so much worse. 
just infinitely yeah. worse. It's called induced demand. It's a big property that no one in American urban planning, you know, at least in the at no, that one, point. no one knows or cares. Dude, I, we learned a lot about induced demand in my master's I'm program. Sure. So, I mean, you basically already have your degree, Olivia. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's all I needed. Well, good. I don't even need to go to community college then. I could just say I have a degree in urban planning. So <laughs> it was awarded to me on a podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Honorary conspiracy to show degree. Get yours wow. in the Unpop store now. Use code that's, degree. That's what you should get into next. For-profit college. <laughs> Hell Yeah. <laughs> For-profit podcast college. We've argued about that on another podcast before. I think I was on that episode. You sure were. I mean, you sure you know. were. So the next thing Sloan does to start this process rolling is he starts buying up companies. Two specifically at first. Omnibus, which was the largest bus operating company in the country. And Yellow Coach, the largest bus production company. And after that, GM moves into Manhattan and buys up a bunch of stake in the New York railway system. And between Because you could do that, which was very smart. Right. Yeah. And between 1926 and 1936, they just kind of methodically destroy that system and replace it with buses. But they also launched this massive advertising campaign about how moving away from railway cars and into buses is like the ethical thing and how it's what everyone wants and it's for the best. And it was just all propaganda. People fucking hated buses. They were smelly. They were loud. They polluted. Unreliable. Unreliable. Unlike streetcars, which had been operating for a long time, perfectly fine by this point. So then National City Lines opens for business in 1936. And this is where the conspiracy angle comes into play when it comes to GM and what they did to the public transit system. Because they were all of the money behind National City Lines. But publicly, you couldn't tell GM was involved in this company at all. Right. But the direct... Not good. Not good. Very bad. The director of operations came from Yellow Coach, which we just mentioned was a GM subsidiary. And board members came from Greyhound, which was owned by GM. And also all of the money came from Greyhound, which was owned by GM. So this was a GM company, but just they hired this former bus operator from Minnesota named Roy Fitzgerald. And they groom him to be the face of National City Lines. So by all public appearances... National City Lines is just this young upstart bus company that started with two buses and just slowly yeah. takes over the world. Feel it's the good American story. Dream. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the 1930s, so no one can like look up and be like, wait, if he's just a farmer, then how did he get the money to start a bus? <laughs> <laughs> On a national scale. Dude, we've <laughs> barely figured out how to deal with this now. Like, only now are our political advertisements saying at the bottom who's actually supplying the major funding. Yeah. There's some gambling thing right now where there's like, hi, my name is uh, this person. I'm a Native American, and my tribe was denied our dignity for many, many years. And that's why you vote yes on this thing. Major funding by DraftKings. It's like, um, yeah, I don't know about that, guys. <laughs> there's such a disconnect when you can have all that money to just move it around. We're barely catching up to it a hundred years later. Like, yep. just the tiniest shreds of culpability, responsibility, transparentness. We've just started doing tiny bits of that. So, hooray. Maybe 100 years, we'll, we'll finally have it figured out. Yeah. No, probably not. We're going <laughs> to definitely <laughs> die. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If we're a country oh, man. I'm, go- I'm going Kurtzweil, baby. I'm living forever. Mm. <laughs> no, thanks. Yeah. Hard pass on that. I'm going to live into my hundreds at best and then out of here. Yeah. Like 30 years have not been great for me. So I, I can't even imagine in the hundreds. So eventually four other companies join in with GM in this enterprise. Mm-hmm. Standard Oil, Mack Trucks, Phillips Petroleum, and Firestone Tire, which obviously the thing all of those companies have in common is that it's going to be in their best interest to get as many cars and buses on the road over right. the next however many years as compared to electric streetcars, which are going to do these companies almost no good. Maybe standard oil is going to need like for lube purposes. But the thing is, 
and this is part of the problem with free market capitalism in general. I mean, that's a whole separate podcast. But like, it's not like any of these companies wouldn't necessarily go out of business or stop being useful or stop being profitable, even if they did not destroy the country through increased motorization. Mm -hmm. It's just that they wouldn't have made quite as much money. Uh, right. If they hadn't. And so they did. And that's why we are now where we are. Uh-huh. They had an obligation to their shareholders to of maximize course. their profit returns. And therefore, and you know, you know a- uh, the urban makeup of everywhere we know has to be fundamentally overhauled. And like people will be annoyed for the rest of their lives. Even the people who like benefited from this personal helicopters were not a thing at this point. But I bet you anything <laughs> that there's some ghouls. Like the Alfred P. Sloans or whatever still got stuck in traffic occasionally. We're like, ugh, what the hell? I wish we didn't yeah. do this. Wait, what am I talking about? Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So eventually National City Lines comes to kind of dominate the American public transit landscape. And in almost every case, their MO is to go into a new market, dismantle the rail systems and replace them with buses. But they don't just go in and day one immediately destroy the rail lines. They do it kind of behind the scenes. You have to make it suck first. People have to stop wanting to use it before they'll use your alternative. And they interview an absolutely evil old man who is probably... Oh, my my God. God. That guy was a ghoul. Holy shit. We are not underselling this, listeners. The guy sitting back, lean back in his his easy liner, just sharp hay wrinkles and cruelty all over his face. And just, yeah, we fired him. Well, we told other people to fire him. And then we fired them. Of course, course we did that. The worst. Hitler was alive in this guy's lifetime, and there have to have been some like, oh, maybe I should be that kind of shitty. Well, I could never be that kind of shitty. I'll just be a business shitty. <laughs> I mean, the thing that's the most galling that he says is he is ancient. He's like a thousand years old. Right. And he's like, of course, anybody who is real close to retirement, we fired them first because, of course, <laughs> you get rid of the old people who are about to quit anyway. <laughs> it's like, Jesus, man. I feel who like- needs a pension? After he says that for a second, I feel like there is a look on his face where he's like, oh, shit, I just said that, huh? Yeah, this guy. I, don't know, I think that might just be the Kuleshev effect. You're just like reading into his blank yeah. face. <laughs> yeah, he probably had a stroke, but something. <laughs> he probably has a stroke every day. This guy's name is Barney Larry. I mean, he's dead now, definitely. No, no he's not. He's <laughs> somewhere 134 years old, still being <laughs> kept alive that's, with public funds fair. or something. <laughs> And, and, and like, look, they have a few pro motorism people on this documentary, and they all look the exact same. They all look like these decrepit old ghouls. Yeah. And this guy, the interviewer asks him about how these L.A. streetcars that he oversaw dismantling. She says, well, weren't they profitable when you took them over? And he goes, when I got done chopping their heads off, they made money. It's like, Jesus, man. And that's when he talks about firing people. And he's like, yeah, Yeah. you fire them. We didn't need them. What are we going to do? Just keep them around? (laughs) They talk about what they would do to shut these systems down. And they would basically just cut back the frequency of how often the trains ran. At first, it was every 10 minutes. Then eventually, it would be 12 minutes, 15 minutes, 18 minutes, 30 minutes. And the more you do that, the fewer people use them. And eventually you can just go, well, look, no one's using them anymore. I guess mm-hmm. we might as well get rid of them. Yeah. When I lived in L.A. and I was heavily using and we miss transportation. You. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody in the city. There's a daily vigil held for my <laughs> absence. But the first year especially, I mostly used public transportation to get around. And you can get on the subway, but it doesn't go very many places. And the buses, they come like every 30 to 40 minutes about. Sometimes a little more, 
a lot of times a little less. And like, that's great for an American public transportation system. Like I live in Indiana mm. now. There's like a bus every fourth street, if that. And it comes like on the hour or something. It's awful. And anybody living in Europe would listen to me describe the L.A. transit system and be like, that's good. And it is because I can at least get to somewhere within a couple hours. Yeah. Whereas here I need a car. I can't not have a car or I just can't even go like a few blocks away because it's too far. And like you're next to these horrific strodes and like awful, just polluting air. It's terrible. My favorite is there's a bus stop on the 110 freeway in the middle of the freeway. Yes. And you're just expected to go there and wait for a bus as the loudest thing you can experience. Sort of like a jet airliner (laughs) just sort of whooshes around you. It's terrifying. 80 miles an hour. And you just got to sit there and wait for the bus because that was the best place they could have put it given the resources that they had. Yeah, I've almost never had to take a bus in L.A., Except when I lived in Santa Monica, I would take it a little bit, but that was different. That doesn't count. That's like really just going around town. (laughs) But just watching the people they interview in this talk about what getting around L.A. used to be like, it's like, oh, man, that sounds so nice. They interview a former railway worker in this, a guy named Jim Holzer, and he's very salty about what happened to the L.A. railway system. And at one point, he explains it like, imagine you had a Rolls Royce, and one day someone took it to an unqualified mechanic, and that mechanic destroyed your Rolls Royce. You'd be very upset about what happened to your fucking Illuminati car. (laughs) And he says, well, we had the Rolls Royce of public transportation systems in L.A., and an unqualified mechanic destroyed it. And, of course, he's bitter about it. And it does suck, because L.A. is so spread out. It really limits where you can work if you don't have Mm -hmm. a car. Like, I haven't had a car most of the time I've been in L.A., but it's because I've lived and worked in the same general area, or now I just work from home, so I don't have a car at all. But, like, I don't know what I would do if I was having to get around and didn't have a car. Also, bear in mind, at that point that he's talking about in the early mid-40s, Los Angeles wasn't what Los Angeles is, which is... Two urban cores, two, three urban cores and job centers, and then just single family homes for miles and miles and miles in every single direction. Like at that point, it was just the city of Los Angeles, a narrow corridor down to Long Beach. There was some homes up in Pasadena, some homes in the Burbanky, Glendale kind of area. And that was pretty much everything. It was not as developed as it was. So you could get anywhere you needed to go, anywhere worth going on this particular system like la was big at that point but it wasn't what it is so the system totally worked at that point and they could have expanded the system to go along mm-hmm. that expanded growth very easily it would have been so much cheaper for the city to do also yeah. rather than totally rip it up and invest in a completely new form of infrastructure And that's one of the really frustrating things you see later in this documentary when there's a clip of the mayor of San Francisco in front of like Congress Uh. or someone and he's advocating for these railway systems. And this old fuck is like, so you're going to tell me there was any single railway system that would be able to accommodate San Francisco now. And it's like you're comparing apples to oranges, man. Like if it could accommodate it, then you could just expand it to accommodate that growth. That's not an exactly. apt comparison. But that's the kind of arguments people leaned on to make sure everyone drove cars forever. And now we're yep. all going to die. In a car, probably. In a car that catches on fire because of global warming. <laughs> so after NCL goes in and destroys Manhattan in LA, then they start just kind of setting about doing it all across the country. And by... Yep. 1946, they dominate the transit systems in more than 80 cities in the United States. They do a thing in this documentary I really hate. They said instead of more than 80, which is what I said, they said it happened in more than 83 cities in the United States. Well, what does that mean? 84? Why not just say 84 then? What does more than 83 mean? That makes no sense. So I said more than 80. A couple of half cities here and there. Balance restored. Thank you. And all the while, the public thinks this company is just owned by these two farmer fucks from Minnesota. 
the Fitzgeralds and that they're doing it with no corporate help at all. And then that all comes to an end when a guy named Edwin Quimby mails a warning to influential people in cities all around the country. This is how you used to have to do it before the (laughs) internet. We covered Behold a Pale Horse, which is a very famous conspiracy theory book that is total bullshit. And (laughs) the guy who wrote that at one point, like one of his first acts on the conspiracy theory scene was to just send this letter with all this UFO information to like 150 different people. It cost him like $1,000 or something. And that's what Edwin Quimby does. He sends out this letter, 33 pages long. It's not really a letter at that point. Yeah, that's a That's a manifesto. Yeah. It's a pamphlet. He sent them a novella. (laughs) And it's all about how GM is actually the money and driving force behind NCL and that they're doing it because they want to take your electric railway systems from you and replace them with buses. Yeah. And almost immediately the press swings into action and starts calling him a conspiracy theorist and questions if he's being paid by some foreign influence. And I'm sure that wouldn't happen now. No, absolutely. Are you kidding? We're so much more evolved now. Yeah. I'm glad we finally got corporate influence out of our media in the United States. But nevertheless, DOJ looks into it. And as a result of this Quimby letter, they launch this investigation and NCL and GM are eventually indicted by a federal grand jury in charge with conspiracy to violate antitrust law. Yeah. Yay! Yeah, good. And there's never been an antitrust problem in America since. And GM ceased to exist at that point in history. Just joking. The documentary points out, for one, I think GM was fined $5,000 it was something like 5000 per each company or something. It was some right. insanely tiny amount. And then one of the key figures in it was fined a dollar. That'll yeah. teach him. Yeah. Yeah, that sucked ass to hear. <laughs> that was so awful. So it didn't do anything to stop the progress of NCL or GM. GM just kind of had to sell their stake in NCL, but they kept supplying them with the buses so they were still making money on this i mean the conspiratorial thinking question line is why did the doj soft pedal these fines they could have said okay well you guys made millions of dollars at a point in time in which millions was how we measured these things so maybe we should have fine you guys millions of dollars to i don't know put some of it back and instead it's like here what do you have on you give me that thanks right fuck out of my courtroom Yeah, I mean, look, it's still capitalism. Like, it's not going to really do much to upset the apple cart. It's very frustrating. And, like, by the point that even any of this punishment happened, most of the the damage had already been done. You know, these systems had already been ripped up, and it was going to take billions of dollars to replace. And at that point, it's not worth it financially, you know, or at least it seemingly is not worth it. Yeah, the documentary says that the Justice Department spent like the next 25 years trying to find ways to kind of halt GM's growth. And just they failed at every yep. turn. Failed. Darn. And so then World War II happens. We already talked about this a little bit. But when was this? What year? World War II, I think, was in the late 70s. It was between us right. and Honduras. Okay. Oh, that's right. In 1492, the Enola sailed the ocean blue. Okay. Right, right, Mm -hmm. right, right. Right. And people start really just having kids and buying cars and moving to the suburbs after World War II. It's the baby boom. It's when the suburbs become a thing. So people start needing cars. But also we have these railway systems still in a lot of the United States and in, again, Japan, Western Europe. And those three areas all at the same time have to decide between the two. And Western Europe and Japan vote in favor of railways, and they still have those in abundance in those countries now. And they're great. And They're really great. They're really great. Japan's look like a little bit of chaos, but a lot of things in Japan look like chaos. But it seems like people in a very small area. Yeah, the system works. It's just there's a lot of people on those fucking railway cars when you get on it. But, and look, and the systems work, but like that doesn't mean that there's not room for improvement. I think most yeah, people of in Japan would agree with that. But, 
But in the United States, we mostly opted for cars at this point. And I'm happy with it. Thank God. <sighs> vroom, vroom, baby. <laughs> this is where they bring up the Pacific Electric Red cars, which used to be a very prominent thing in L.A. And it yeah. seems like those were great. And they have all. Sounds of- awesome. Yeah, there's all these meetings where the public is showing up in large numbers and arguing to keep these things in place. And since when does L.A. listen to its people? They (laughs) certainly didn't in this case. And those systems all went away. And one of the concerns at the time, if you can believe it, seemed to be pollution. A lot of people Hmm. were concerned that buses and adding more cars might add to a growing pollution problem in LA. Good Hmm. thing they were wrong about that. Yeah, I was gonna say that hasn't ever really been a concern in LA, has it? Like, well, no, they have that city engineer who gets up in front of the public and says there were studies that showed buses don't cause pollution. So right, of course, course. should be fine. Should be fine. Yeah, that was all very frustrating to watch. Yeah. Like, that was just a lot of citizens of L.A. being exactly right about this problem and being vehemently ignored. Right. At that point, a business could just find the one technocrat, the one expert who could be bought off. Like, yeah, I got a couple of weddings I need to pay for, these fucking daughters I have. (laughs) So, yeah, throw me like 15K and I'll say whatever the fuck you want. Like, buses are ethical? What? Sure, I'll say it. Who gives a shit? Get out of my way. Yeah, so they had one guy who used to be on the transportation board who they met his price, and then he right. said whatever the Standard Oil wanted him to say, and the city council or whatever was like, all right, cool. Uh, yeah. We don't need yeah. to listen to all these rabble who live here. Just $5 million if anybody listening needs to bribe somebody. That's my price. Oh, oh, sure. oh that's really good to know. Thank you. Pretty cheap, I would say, overall, considering the quality that you're getting of the product. Right. Like, what is the cost like... of the soul? Exactly. Exactly. It's five mil. So yeah, five they, million. Five million dollars. Yeah. Smackaroos. <laughs> so they talk a little bit about how Philadelphia was the last city to kind of put up a fight against NCL and GM, but they eventually lost too. And then yep. they move into the second half of this documentary, which is about a different but also related thing especially in that it still involves that evil sloan guy from gm and i immediately thought a danger when they show this psa about traffic congestion that is you know how upset i got i believe this was put out by gm it's from the late 60s early 70s and it's showing all these people stuck in traffic and people are getting angry and it says don't honk your horn raise your voice Tell your leaders that you want more roads and more parking. More parking. How'd you feel about that more parking line? Uh, Bad, because look, at that point, maybe it could have been helpful. At that point in the urban development, like, all right, for those first couple of years, I guess, yeah, we we have cars everywhere now. We could use a few more roads and a little bit more parking. But then those rules that got set into place were never changed for 70 years. And just sort of classified into the system that's totally eaten up all of our land. Parking lots are bad, but also all of these suburban sprawl housing, like transportation and housing are two sides of the same coin, which is that sort of efficient urban experience or suburban experience, ex-urban experience, whatever you want. Like you need to have the housing near where the jobs are. You need to get people from where the housing is to where the jobs are. And at this point, they're starting to say, okay, well, everybody's going to get a car. So let's make sure that every sorry that all white Americans get their own house as uh, far from the urban core as possible because we are pulling money out of these urban cores. We are putting them into building roads and houses, subsidizing their mortgages, making sure that these people who are white and have blue eyes and that they're going to be taken care of and it's fine. And they obviously need cars. If they're going to get from point A to point B, they have to make sure that there's way too much parking everywhere to make that easy. Because the worst thing in the world that could happen is that you have to walk a couple of blocks. Who can walk a couple of blocks? Certainly not me. Not me. (laughs) Yeah. As a single person living in a single family house, it fucking sucks. I constantly have way too much space to, like, keep a clean house it's just constantly Mm. filthy because i literally in my daily life can't touch 
every surface in my house because <laughs> there's too many. It's the worst. Uh-huh. Like single family neighborhoods are disastrous for anybody's living. Like, look, I get if you want to have a yard and stuff. And, you know, if you've got a big family or whatever, that's fine. But it shouldn't be the uh, only choice. Yes. The 70 like, or so and, percent and, of our housing. I mean, you know, that's the thing. Like more even than the fucking cars is the zoning in our country and no multi-use zoning whatsoever Mm -hmm. in the entire fucking nation kind of makes it difficult to build neighborhoods that are nice to live in because you know you have to drive fucking everywhere yeah so speaking of that the next thing alfred sloan focuses on after effectively dismantling public transportation in the united states Mm -hmm. he starts looking toward the expansion of highways and freeways in the United States. He essentially founds the highway lobby, which yeah. I guess I didn't know was a thing, but it makes sense yeah. now that At it would point, be yeah, that well, been. a thing. That's the thing. Like, It's not really as big of a deal now because it's all established. Like, It was a right. huge influence back in the 40s and 50s and 60s because all the highways and shit were being built, and now... They just need to be expanded, and it's just a money sink for every fucking state. I didn't realize there was as much controversy as there was around the construction of the highway system, but it absolutely makes sense that there was. I think I heard it put the best in this documentary in that someone said they're destroying communities so people who don't live there can drive through them quickly. And that... It's the whole problem. Yeah, that is essentially the entire problem with how the highway system came to be right because the, yeah. the actual freeway system was a good idea let's make it easy to move goods yes. from coast to coast right. it was eisenhower that put that through and eisenhower like the military general knew the value of being able to ship military personnel and equipment from one city to another but the problem was with that they were like okay well we're going to take these interstate highways and put them through the center of each individual city. Whereas there's places like, I think DC at the time, if I'm not mistaken, the point of DC was that you couldn't actually take a freeway to the core. There's that dumb ring road around it because that kept that interior core more or less intact. But you get stuff like Los Angeles where they just cut through, well, what's, what's the poorest in parentheses, blackest part of town. All right, well, let's just put our freeway fucking there. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Right. Oh, those and, people? What are we going to do? Exactly. And it's a huge problem, and it does contribute to, you know, it's it's this whole thing. Like, again, I live in Indianapolis. It's got a giant ring freeway. Then they have two freeways that cut straight through the city center, and it, those freeways make it even harder to navigate through roads because the interstates are going through one-way streets and through places that can only be navigated in a certain way and like it can cut off neighborhoods that are right next to each other yeah but they're impossible to get to and from because there's a highway through them at all you're also describing san francisco that place with the highways and just how everything is sealed away and you have to just know where you're going in order to get there right or at least you did when i was trying to navigate it in well what was that 2006 or so whatever yeah. It's confusing. You get New York City, it's a grid. Makes sense. Boom. It's a giant urban core. That makes sense. But then you get these other places that are just sort of like, well, let's build them around the idea of the car and how far like an hour's worth of a drive might be. And you do that and you add geography and you get some really weird, amorphous, meaningless shapes. And it just sort of congeals in these weird directions, dendritic streets that just sort of end. Yeah, I... Found the propaganda videos around the highway stuff just fascinating. <laughs> Eerie. There's one where a woman, there's like a public meeting, and it seems like everyone doesn't want this highway. And this woman stands up and says one of the most incomprehensible things I've ever heard, which is... It's, it's like a parody. <laughs> can't you see that this highway means a whole new way of life for these children? And that's it. Yep. And the room yep. explodes in applause. The, like, yeah, all the people who are uh, originally opposing the freeway are like in tears, clapping at the end of this nonsense. <laughs> and so Eisenhower takes office and his cabinet is outfitted with a bunch of GM allies. Most importantly, Charles Wilson, GM president, who is also secretary of defense, because that makes sense that of course those two jobs would lend themselves to each other. 
And he immediately starts pushing highways as necessary for national security, which, yeah. Sure. That was a point I made. Yeah. 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 Let's link El Paso to uh, Los Angeles. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Let's definitely not expand our existing interstate rail system that we spent millions of dollars in the 1800s to build. Let's just make highways. And look, highways are good. Like, I love driving. I really love driving. I do. It but, shouldn't be your only yeah. option. Right, exactly. It's a tool. But America, you know, treats it not only like the only tool, but it's part of our identity as a country. It's really yeah. weird. So in 1956, Congress passes the Interstate Highway System Act. They build highways and freeways all around the country and within cities. This gets read at one point in this documentary. Here goes. Yeah. I had never heard this. I had, this is absurd. Oh, be, be advised, this is right where the baby started getting super fussy for me, and I had to, I had to focus, switch gears. wasn't able to finish this particular documentary, but I was like, I know most of this stuff, and I'm already mad. So, well, you're gonna love this. Cool. Well, here, here goes. Oh, Almighty God, who has given us this earth and has appointed men to have domination over it, <clears throat> who has commanded us to make straight the highways, to lift up the valleys. And to make the mountains low, (laughs) we ask thy blessing. Bless these, our nation's road builders and their friends. That's the road builders prayer. Uh 1956, author unknown. So I'm assuming it was the CIA. Mm. Yeah, of course. (laughs) I would love to read the book of the Bible where the Lord talks about the fucking highways that we need to build. You know, Jesus driving a bitchin' hot rod. (laughs) So it happens. Highways are built. It's chaos. People are displaced from their homes. In a lot of cases, the freeways aren't helping. There's a really notorious example of the one that went up in Boston initially that fed four lanes of traffic into three lanes of highway. It's like that's not helping. Great engineering at all. And in some places, people protest and just don't drive on them or refuse Mm -hmm. them altogether. Initially, San Francisco's mayor, he seems like one of the more prominent voices speaking out against these highway systems at the time, Joseph yeah. Alioto. Granted, I'm sure he oppressed people of color in some way in sure. his capacity. Yeah, everybody as mayor, did. But he but, seems But on this particular on subject, this, he's pretty great. I yeah, loved him. On this particular front, he seems like a decent egg. And he gets a call from the state and they're like, We want to put a highway along the Embarcadero. And he's like, No. You can't. People don't want it. It's going to be stinky and smelly. And you are not allowed to do that. It's a very pretty area and you're going to make it ugly. And no. And he is featured a lot in this speaking out against the highway lobby. At one point, he says those freeway people would put a highway right through the Vatican if you let them. And here's the thing. I would, too, to be honest. Like, that's. No, I mean, sure. (laughs) Like, why? For a different reason. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That's the whole thing. I don't think me and him are on the same page when it comes to that comparison. But And yeah, there's lots of interviews with people who talk about how brutal this point in history was when we were building these freeways through all these communities and just displacing yeah. people left and right. One woman mentions how it was so bad that she assumed it would be no time at all before the government would be like, all right, this has been a disaster. We should probably pull back on this. And <laughs> whoops, not whoops. the case. We really, really kept at it. And yeah, by the mid 60s, the government had just very clearly sided with cars. And that's kind of where it lies. They talk a little more in the documentary about the mayor of San Francisco kind of lobbying against these highways and how that public attention did cause a little bit of a comeback for public transportation. And that's why, like, the BART system exists in San Francisco. Right or why Washington, D.C. has the subway system that they have. That point in history is when there was this brief resurgence where those kind of systems became a thing. But it's back to the point where we desperately need way more of that. I mean, in bigger cities, I feel like you can get to the airport in a lot of places pretty easy, and that's about it. Facilitating commerce and travel, yeah. Like Chicago, Denver, you can sure as shit get from the airport to wherever you want to be. But after that, I mean, you can get wherever you want in Chicago. You're going to get stabbed on a lot of those 
yeah trains i mean yeah and in any of these things like chicago or anything these places that have very flawed subpar transit systems are still among the best in the country because yeah exactly everywhere else they're non-existent so you know we'll take what we can get at a certain point so danger how do we fix this i mean you went to school for it so i feel like if you could in like yeah 90 to 120 seconds just yeah uh, lay out our please yeah lay out our path forward for the future please go uh yeah so um telecommuting is going to be big and bigger uh we got to make sure that we're taxing the portfolios of large landowners appropriately uh so that we can get the resources that we need to build the kind of infrastructure and housing that we need uh single family zoning is uh not good if you ever climb up uh, to the hollywood hills or uh, anywhere in southern california that is a mountain and you look and you will only see I don't know, like three quarters of it at least will be single family housing. All of that is a political decision that got made a long time ago, and it remains so um, because people still think that their housing valuation is more important than actually building infrastructure and things that need in the areas where the jobs might exist. Uh, Spoiler alert, ladies and gentlemen, your housing values go up regardless of whether or not there is an apartment building on your street corner or something, because more housing means more desire to live somewhere, which means you'll be able to sell at a profit. You know, congratulations, y'all. Um, polycentric job centers are what we have now, so we have to figure out how to get them. Like, I mean, it's an ugly thing to say, but buses, like the buses that exist, uh, more and more buses, charging more appropriately for parking, making it more expensive to use a car, but yeah, also I, I didn't using. I mean, you actually had yeah. to. Ex- yeah, fix all I was going to say we're and... way past two minutes. Right. Yeah, I feel like I feel like you <laughs> ran the light but just ma- a ma- little bit. Make it easier to take transit and make it harder to use private transportation yeah absolutely i mean but that, yeah. don't don't sleep on the housing part of it the housing part is huge it has to be a holistic approach it has to be housing yeah. it has to be zoning hey people in the middle of the country don't you want to get in on the bodega debate about you know right? what it's like to have a bodega on your street corner come on get in the multi-use zoning it's great hell yeah so yeah that's the documentary. That's the debate. I think it is pretty clear that GM, there was obviously a conspiracy yeah. to destroy streetcars. There have yeah. been since then, the argument you see the most against this idea is that, well, all of those railway systems were in decline and starting to fail when GM came in and took them over. And I feel like that's a very weak excuse because they could have just reinvested money in those and expanded those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, would have been cheaper. Yeah, would have been cheaper. Would have been less profit for GM, I'm sure. But, hey, 1950s America, do you have a problem? Consider setting it on fire. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know if I agree with that debunking of this Conspiracy. I also saw an article that said GM wasn't convicted of a conspiracy to destroy rail systems. And it's like, well, yeah, because there's no law that says that specific thing, asshole. That's still why it happened. But no, it wasn't that exact wording in the fucking official government document that punished them for it. Fucking jerk off. America does have a great track record of charging companies with anything like we kind of just let them do what they want you did what will you do it again yes (laughs) i'll try not to well you're trying to make a little more money next time okay (laughs) you're gonna have to pay us (laughs) okay yeah it really is like sometimes corporations just sort of get shaken down by the government as opposed to ever facing any punishment like banks or like car companies where like they'll make all of this money cutting corners on environmental shit. And then they'll get like a $2 million fine. And it's like, they made so much money cutting those corners. Like that's not punishing. That's just asking for your share of the profits. That does nothing. you're You're describing a fundamental problem of free market capitalism. I mean, this is the whole thing. Like, Oh, no, capitalism is great. I I won't hear capitalism be slandered on this American podcast. Of course, of course, of course. I love green dollar, dollar bills, all that. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. This podcast is brought to you by cash. Cash. (laughs) And you need to buy some shit. Send us cash. Cash. Yeah. Yeah, send me an Olivia cash if 
please. Like, especially if you're like getting off into gold because you're a survivalist or something, just send yeah, that. You send me gold send, too. Will you want. send that worthless ass cash to me and Olivia and Danger? He's got, <laughs> he's got kids. You. So, do we have any final thoughts on this? Sigh. It's it's yeah. very depressing. Like I said, this was made in 1996. And it could be made exactly the same today, except a lot of the people who remember how good public transportation used to be are now dead. And so can't advocate for it. So it would actually be even more depressing. Yeah, you'd have to build your eight-part Netflix documentary series around the footage from this documentary. Because most of these people are dead now, hopefully including that fuck face that fired all the L.A. railway <laughs> oh, the, workers. Hopefully. That vampire hope, must be dead. Yeah. I hope he died sad and penniless, man. Oof. What bothers me the most is that there's that old-timey recording. It was like, wow, well, everything sort of sounds like this, and it's a godly speaking like this. And he's saying things that I've thought but never heard spoken out loud, like, why is it in every car commercial you never see any other cars on the road? There's never any other people. It's only just the beauty and the, the speed, and that's just not how things go. It's like, yeah! Wait, this guy said that 70 years ago and nobody noticed? What the hell? Yeah, because well, he was talking like this. He was, he was yeah. saying everything like this, and no one could pay attention to any of his words. Exactly. Makes it very distracting. It's sad. I have to make very stupid jokes because is. this is a very depressing subject that currently affects everybody listening. Yeah. If they're in America. If you're not in America, fuck you. Yeah. I, well, okay. Hey, if you're not in America, enjoy your hopefully much better uh, transit and housing system. Yeah. That's and your also, consolation, you. guys. I enjoy hope your the, heat wave, Europe. I hope at least you have some air conditioning. Yeah. <laughs> they don't. Yeah, I hope That's you like your walkable cities. We also sided with air conditioning over being uncomfortable. In this country, look, so look, I gotta have the air conditioning. Yeah, it's, I'd be that uh, person look, I'm, if I'm this a- if this documentary was about air conditioning. I'd be that person on the L.A. freeway who was like, "I've never yeah. known life without it." What do you mean? I can't. <laughs> I mean, for real though, I'm not gonna. Get I have my, known life without it. Me? Sucks. Yeah, I have too. I grew up very poor and hot, so <laughs> and not hot in the cool way. Hot in the it's right, sweltering no. in my home way. It's okay. We don't. No one says hot anymore. So I do. I still say hot. Good. I'm glad. Yeah, I, I also say hot. But why are you throwing well, hot? Good. On I'm glad, guys. You and a couple of old guys <laughs> yeah. with oh. me today. So I think that's our episode. Thank you both yeah. for oh, doing yeah. it. Do we have anything to plug before we get out of here, Olivia? How about you? Going back, Adam yeah, yeah. and uh, Lost Rewatch podcast. You can listen to that. It's on the Unpops Patreon, the Conspiracy tier. And other than that, no, no plugs. Nothing. I will quickly mention that I am doing a live podcast in New York City, August 28th at 4 p.m. at Caveat NYC with Alex Schmidt, Khalees yeah. Hawkins, and Sliceberg Slim. I almost said Sliceberg yeah. Smith. Who the fuck is that? You can get tickets at unpops.co slash NYC. Come out and meet me, especially if you listen. I feel like I have not met most of the people who listen to this podcast. I don't know how much crossover <laughs> there is, but come out. Just pretend it's a conspiracy pod and come out and meet me anyway and tell me, I don't know, <laughs> why fucking Pizzagate is real or whatever you want to talk about. But hmm. you uh, sure you want to encourage that? No, I actually don't. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't do that. Yeah. If you're one of the people who canceled because I put out a Trump episode this week and you said I was too woke, don't come. Don't come <laughs> to the show. God. I don't need that energy there. But otherwise. It just never. Ceases to amaze me when you mention that that happens, that there are still people who support Trump who listen still. to these shows. Oh, right? well, it's just because I'm very good at podcasts. It's, no, I mean, of course, I would argue of course. Better than Trump is at being president. So I mean, absolutely. I still got some at hangers least, on. At least getting elected president. Yeah, well, exactly. So unpops.co slash NYC. Come to that. All right. Danger. Let's hear those plugs. <laughs> sure. I mean, I'm on paternity leave i'm tired all the time i got a baby <laughs> uh please listen to countless thousands patreon.com slash countless thousands uh we are going to be putting out a new album called tremble very soon i believe we've got a, a new collaboration coming out really soon that i'm 
very excited for. Uh, I can't wait. We're whatever. It's we're we're doing our own version of the Monster Mash, and it's gonna be dope, and it's gonna be out by Halloween, and we have a very special guest who will be working in the lab late one night. Yeah, it's gonna be dope as shit. So Patreon.com/slash Countless Thousands. I barely tweet anymore, but Countless One Zero 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 S. Just just email us Countless Thousands at Gmail. Just just let me know I'm I, I exist because I forget that the world's out there because I'm up at like <laughs> I'm up at four every day putting formula into a tiny baby that refuses to sleep hmm yeah so i'm sounds fun yeah it's not but we go out i put her in the little baby sling we go out walking try to count the skunks there's a lot of skunks in the neighborhood they're really cute Aww. one day my dog's gonna charge at him and it's all gonna be over that's the day the, the dog's oh, getting God. kicked that's the day that my dog's getting kicked into the moon oh what okay don't kick your dog into the moon. I'll only ever kick him if I kick him into the moon because he chased a skunk and the skunk sprayed us. Okay. What Fair is enough. happening? <laughs> okay. I think that's it. Let's get out of here. Danger. Hi. Say goodbye and don't kick your dog. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Olivia, say goodbye. Bye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. People of Earth, your planet is about to be destroyed. 